sending mean cards, eating mashed earthworms, using jack-o'-lanterns to light medieval love banquets. They're all surprising yet vaguely sinister ways to celebrate Valentine's Day. Let's have a look at some of them in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. This is Freaky February and we are looking at basically all things a bit strange, weird and bizarre this month. And this particular episode, I do realise it's going to go live on the 8th of February and obviously that's basically almost a week ahead of Valentine's Day. But, you know, you might want some time to get things ready if any of these ideas that I give you tickle your fancy. Who knows? Now, this episode is based on a blog post I wrote on the Folklore Thursday website, which is linked in the show notes below. But I have added a couple of extra little bits in there about the heart as well, which I also think is worth covering in this particular episode. Now, trying to divine the origins of Valentine's Day does prove quite challenging because some people believe the day is named for St. Valentine, who, if you believe the legends, was a priest who conducted marriage ceremonies in secret and the officials executed him once his clandestine weddings were discovered. And then for some reason, his name became synonymous with love and romance because nothing says romance like execution. Others think that the day derives from the Roman fertility festival of Lupercalia, which was held between February the 13th and 15th, and Pope Galeasis changed the festival's name in 496 CE, claiming that St Valentine had died refusing to recant his Christianity. So if that's true, the change removed the pagan roots from the festival and turned it into a Christian celebration of love. There will no doubt be some people tearing their hair out at the idea of yet another pagan festival allegedly being corrupted by the Christians. As I say, I don't. there's no real evidence either way, so I'm just presenting you with the options. Because, let's be honest, folklore is never that simple. Because even the sweetest celebrations have a darker aspect. So in this episode, we are going to have a look at the sinister side of Valentine's folklore. And this in particular isn't Valentine's folklore, but it does relate to Lupercalia, and as we have just mentioned it, it does seem fair to include it. And Plutarch wrote about a particular practice that involved young men running naked through the streets and they would carry bits of animal skin and then they would try to whip any women that they encountered. Now, women would actively go looking for these young men because apparently being whipped with the skin from sacrificed animals would ensure fertility and easy childbirth. And obviously, in the days before all the medical advancements that we've got now, I'm assuming you would probably quite happily take anything that would make childbirth easier. Elsewhere in the festivities, men and women would put their names into an urn and then they would take it in turns to draw out a name and then that person would become their partner for the rest of the festival. And let's be honest, that's still better than Tinder. But it does show the Roman emphasis on sexuality over what then became courtly love in the Middle Ages. So the Romans clearly just wanted to pair people up. And there was a particularly odd and potentially slightly sinister slice of Valentine's folklore in Britain 
and people actually believed that women would fall head over heels for the first person that they saw on Valentine's Day. And some women apparently manufactured encounters with men who'd caught their eye sort of earlier on. And Samuel Pepys even recorded in his diary in 1662 that his wife kept her hand over her eyes while she moved around the house because she wanted to avoid seeing the workmen that were doing renovation work. And you can imagine that this belief might be rife with skullduggery and manipulation, which again sounds about right for Valentine's Day. Now lots of websites discuss the choice of February the 14th for the day. And many people think it derives from an apparent medieval folk belief that birds chose their mates for the year on that date. So people might give their partners a queer leg to signify romance because they were supposed to enhance beauty and fertility. Now sadly this is not actually necessarily true and there is a belief that it may come from a line in Chaucer's poem Parliament of Fowls and that's from around about 1382 and over time this quote then stuck as a folk belief the way that these things often do. And Jim Moon notes that there's no written evidence for the belief in a specific day for birds to mate. And as he points out, the Society of Chaucer's era were agrarian and therefore closer to wildlife behaviour and habits than we are now. And because of the unpredictability of spring's arrival, it makes it really unlikely that a specific day would herald mating among birds. So this marriage of the birds became symbolic rather than literal. Although that said, birds do play a huge part in another particularly weird Valentine's belief and in this one the first bird a single woman saw on Valentine's Day could predict her future husband's character. Now this form of divination is known as ornithomancy, obviously ornithology being the study of birds and ideally you'd want to see a canary which would mean that you'd marry a doctor or a goldfinch which would mean that you'd marry a rich man and doves meant that you'd have a happy marriage but you should avoid seeing a woodpecker because that meant that you would stay unmarried. And this is the thing, a lot of the Valentine's folklore does relate to finding a partner or seeing a vision of your intended. And you do get quite a lot of crossover with some of the beliefs that you have around Halloween and trying to see who your future husband or wife is going to be. And while this practice sounds a lot closer to a Halloween superstition than one for Valentine's Day, one particularly dark tradition involved graveyards. So what you should do is head to a cemetery the night before Valentine's Day, it's obviously February the 13th, and then at midnight, you've got to run round the church 12 times. And if you do it properly, your future lover would appear as a ghost. And other people believe that you'd see omens that, if interpreted correctly, would reveal your intended. I've no idea if that worked, but there we go. That's something that you can always try. This is why I wanted to give you this stuff in advance, people. Lisa Graves and Trisha Cohen note that women also turn to food to help with Valentine's issues. And they might throw marigolds into the path of their love. They might pin bay leaves to a pillow or place a slice of wedding cake beneath and either of these would help encourage prophetic dreams. And this is the slightly icky bit. Well, I say slightly, this is the incredibly icky bit. They would also mash up leeks and earthworms and then eat the mixture, which would help strengthen a failing relationship. I can't possibly say whether that is a good idea or not, but if you decide to do that, you do it at your own discretion. I'd probably rather that you didn't. But according to Hazel Andrews and Theresa Leopold, people held banquets to celebrate love at the time. And I can only hope that they weren't eating earthworm mash. But guests wore infinity signs and other love symbols on their clothes. And they were supposed to talk about love 
over dishes that were known to stimulate affection. And it all sounds really quite lovely. And you might think, hang on a minute, I see you said you were going to do sinister Valentine folklore. But what you have to bear in mind is these banquets were lit by what Tom Hodgkinson describes as love lanterns that were often large hollowed out turnips similar to jack-o'-lanterns. So it's quite spooky stuff all around. You may have gathered by my tone in this post that Valentine's Day is not my favourite time of the year. And quite frankly, a lot of people do agree and not all Valentines were sweetness and light and the anti-Valentine appeared in the 1840s, often called a vinegar Valentine and they were supposed to be used by people to give unwanted suitors the heave-ho and there are a couple of examples on the blog post for this and there's one for, uh, there's one particular Valentine card dated to the 1870s from the Brighton Royal Pavilion and Museums and it says... "'Tis said you share your love with many, but I believe you have not any, at least enough to give away, you keep it for yourself,' they say. So it's not exactly a typical roses are red kind of rhyme. And some early trolls obviously used them in a much more bullying fashion, just simply sending them to people that they just didn't like. So comic valentines actually accounted for half of all American valentine card sales during the mid-19th century, and they fit into a fairly wider pattern of sending anonymous cards to people to say what you thought about them, really. And this runs from salespeople to employers. We have glass door now, so we don't need to do this. But while some people might debate whether they should be considered folklore, the sending of these vinegar valentines does derive from culturally acceptable traditions like sending cards. And the practice actually fell out of favour in the 19th century. But then again, it's the kind of thing that you can imagine there being a 21st century revival of. Now, I did also say that we would be having a look at the heart as well. And you've got the whole idea around the broken heart when relationships end. And I've always been fascinated by the Wham song last Christmas and the idea that he's giving his heart to someone and the next day they give it away, which begs the question, are they giving his heart to somebody else or are they giving their own heart to somebody else? Because if it's his, it kind of turns into a really weird version of Pass the Parcel. But anyway... Why the heart in general, like why is the heart so associated with love and romance and Valentine's Day and so on? And I think that part of the the original belief in it probably dates back to things like the Egyptians, where the heart was the only thing that remained inside the body after mummification because you would need your heart when you then wanted to pass on into the afterlife and it would then be weighed against the feather of truth which would determine whether you got to go on into the afterlife or your soul was swallowed by the destroyer and you were consigned to oblivion. So if you need to have your heart so that it can then be weighed on these scales, obviously you would need to have it with you so it wasn't put in in canopic jars like your liver or your intestines or anything like that. And that was basically the, the really important part of the human body. I mean, considering the way that they removed the brain, we, I think, today would probably cite the brain as being where you are, where you exist, if that makes sense, because that's kind of where the mind is. But obviously for other civilizations, it's the heart. And there are obviously parts of biology and so on that would support a reading like that. And Gavin Francis explains that patients who suffer heart valve failure, they've got this, they display this sudden conviction that they're dying. And this phenomenon is known as angoanomy or anguish of the soul. And at this point, the heart sort of alerts the body to its imminent end. And this basically gives the heart a sort of sense of sentience that other body parts just don't get. And obviously, when you think of how many ways that we describe emotions come down to the heart, you know, so 
you talk about horror films that, you know, kind of get the blood pumping or the heart thumping and things like that, or they really make your pulse race and so on. It's all around the heart and the effect on the heart rather than, you know, nobody sort of talks about the effect of a horror film on their kidneys, for example. So it's it's all about the heart as almost being a, a really important part of the body for just literally how you actually process things. And this is where it's quite interesting, because if you look at some stories of heart transplant patients, they kind of they don't really bond with the new heart and they almost see it as quite alien. And Gavin Francis also notes that some patients connected to heart bypass machines actually experience a form of distress. And he theorises that this is a disturbance of mood and cognition brought on by having your blood moved beyond the confines of the body. And while many theories have been proposed to explain such sensations, it's basically the fact that it's possible that the self depends on the actual heart's rhythm. And this is where you then get things like the continuing beat of the heart becomes the whole point of Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Telltale Heart. And this particular heart reminds the narrator of what it is that he's actually done. And the thing is, we should also remember that for a while, early philosophers tried to work out which organ actually housed the essential self. And they basically had the choice between the heart, the brain and the liver, somewhat randomly. And while the brain ended up essentially taking that particular crown, the heart has had the longest association with love. And this does date back to the early Middle Ages. And then also just look at the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. I mean, the whole point of him essentially getting a a heart is because he wants to essentially feel human. So he wants to kind of have a soul. So this is again where the heart is the essential self, which we saw in the ancient Egyptians, then even comes out in, you know, popular culture. And also don't forget that driving a stake through the chest is one of the primary ways of getting rid of a vampire. So it could just simply be that if the heart represents the soul or the essential self of a person, destroying the heart therefore then destroys them. So that would explain why the whole staking thing comes into it. I should point out that while I'm saying staking things, I am miming this and I don't know why because obviously you can't see it. But I hope that all of this Valentine's folklore and information around the heart has given you something to think about for maybe doing something slightly different on Valentine's Day. And next time that you walk into a stationer's shop and you're bombarded with the dazzling array of cards, I would like you to remember this episode. And just ask yourself, could you better express your love with earthworm mash or by whipping your partner with animal skins? And if you're single, should you take up bird watching for clues to see a future husband? Whatever you do, just remember to show you love someone in the way that best suits you. And you could also think of a way of doing that that doesn't involve glitter-encrusted cards and chocolates. Incidentally, if you do want to send somebody roses, I do have an entire episode about the folklore of roses, which you can find in the archive, and I'll put the link to it below anyway. So you can find that again if you want. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on basically the Valentine's Day folklore and considerations around the heart and that I hope that if whatever you do if you're single have a nice day treat yourself go and do something nice go and do something that you enjoy and if you're with someone you know try and think of something nice to do it's being a bit original as well and next week we will be back with cemetery superstitions which I think is a little bit more my speed so I bid you all a good week I bid you all a happy valentine's day so there you go you've all had at least one valentine from me And I hope you all have a marvellous week and I will see you soon. Cheerio.